conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on the Jim Benson Show. Look at, the, look at the judge's opinion. Look at the judge's opinion in Pennsylvania that talked about over two million illegal ballots cast. That was their court order. Sir, look at the uh, special investigation the of a former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice who found significant voter fraud at nursing homes in the state of Wisconsin. Okay. Look at the 2000 Mules documentary that has come out. Look at how many mass mail out of ballots been, there were across okay, the United I, States for which we have no security. Okay, um, and, and that has been looked at and fact-checked by multiple outlets, including Reuters, who have debunked that as any sort of proof that there was widespread voter fraud. I'm sorry, but other January people have fact-checked January, it and find you January, absolutely wrong, Sandra, January but keep going 6th. with that story. If Thank you. I mean, how do, yeah. I mean, she's going to quote I guess Reuters, she, which is totally leftist? Totally Totally leftist. leftist. She's going to quote a leftist organization talking about it's been debunked. This 2000 Mules has been debunked. No, you know it hasn't. There, of course, that is their go-to thing. And she's going to jump on board. She's on Fox News. Seriously. Yeah. I'm and, and me, hold on. I got to say this, too. And you know what? If I were to take that very same clip and share that information on YouTube, they would go ballistic. They would give me a strike on my channel. And they would say that I'm sharing information that is harmful. And you know who is harmful to, Shannon? Who? to their liberal feelings because they refuse to believe that this, that the 2020 election was totally fraudulent. And it was, you can look at Joe Biden. He's a complete idiot staying in the basement. You can't tell me that president Trump got more votes this time than any other time. And Joe Brandon still won. I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. That was a replay of a portion of an audio recording we played on our last show. It's a soundbite from commentator Will Johnson's Let's Talk About It program, May 31, on frankspeech.com. On the first part of that audio clip, you are hearing a contentious discussion between a Fox News reporter and a prominent Republican congressman arguing over the legitimacy of claims of widespread election fraud in 2020. Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Jim Benson Show, conservative talk radio covering the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. Yes, Will Johnson, along with probably hundreds of millions of other people here in the USA and around the world, refuses to believe that dim-witted, fumbling, bumbling, stumbling Joe Biden, radical left bootlick, and pal of the Chinese communists, not only won the 2020 election, but garnered more than 80 million votes in the process. Joe Biden, who along with family members, received payments of at least $30 million from entities associated with the Communist Chinese Party, according to President Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani and Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute and author of the book Red-Handed. How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Corrupt, evil Joe Biden, who along with family members has been peddling influence in the public offices he's held for many years, critics say. Do you have any doubt that there was widespread fraud in the 2020 election that illegitimately handed the presidency to Joe Biden? I don't. The evidence of this fraud, orchestrated by Democrats and their rhino, that's Republicans in name only, allies, 
is massive. And while all of it may not be irrefutable, there is certainly more than enough for vigorous debate on the subject, to say the least. Now, if you believe our corrupt establishment media mouthpieces and their overseers in our government, financial and cultural institutions, the 2020 election was the most free and fair election in history, period. But you can't do true forensic audits of electronic voting equipment and paper ballots. You'll just have to take their word for it that this was the most free and fair election in history. The shocking, horrifying thing about this far-flung and highly organized election of ballot fraud in the 2020 election was the gargantuan cover-up of it that followed and continues to this day. What all this has shown for me, more than anything else, is that a very determined and well-organized and orchestrated coup took place to remove Donald Trump from office and overthrow our legitimately elected constitutional government of the United States. This treasonous conspiracy involved both foreign and domestic actors who are enemies of our constitution and way of life. They are hell-bent to bring down the USA and, I have no doubt, subjugate us to communist China. Exactly who the people are who committed these treasonous acts remains to be discovered, but they were un- they were wholeheartedly supported by a large segment of our government and societal institutions and leaders, as well as our enemies abroad, particularly the People's Republic of China. If I heard him correctly, election integrity warrior Mike Lindell, who's fighting to end the use of electronic voting equipment in America, has alleged that some 15 million votes cast for Donald Trump were flipped to Joe Biden across the country through these cyber attacks on the voting equipment. Then we have the widespread election of evidence of ballot fraud, particularly in the key swing states that decided the election. I can go on and on about the mountain of evidence that shows the 2020 election was stolen, but most of you, if you've been concerned about 2020, already are familiar with most of it. The battles over getting to the truth about what really happened continue, but the key takeaway from all of this is that our elections have been rigged and have been to a greater or lesser extent for probably decades. Never, however, was there more fraud than in 2020. Lindell and his team of cyber experts claim to have irrefutable proof that the Chinese Communist Party was involved in more than 90% of the alleged cyber attacks that occurred on and around Election Day 2020. For decades now, the CCP, which rules China with an iron fist, has been showered with cash and special privileges by the West and has used much of that money to corrupt and ensnare many Western government business, government, I'm sorry, many Western government, business, and cultural leaders via bribery, extortion, intimidation, or other influence. The result is that the CCP has spread its tentacles throughout our society. Make no mistake, the CCP has repeatedly stated its clear intention to destroy the USA and take us over. The absolute fools among us promoting more influence by and surrender to the CCP appear to have no idea what they are really doing. But they are, in reality, bringing about not only their own self-destruction, but everyone else's as well. Looking around ourselves today, it's not hard to conclude that the 2018, 2020, and 2020 elections 
marked the beginning of a communist takeover of America. For many people, I know that's a difficult conclusion to come to, but all they have to do is finally open their eyes, look around and see what's happening and what's being said by the CCP and their sycophants in this country and the rest of Western civilization. And while it appears that we in the West are beginning to wake up to what's happening, the powerful influence of the CCP over our lives remains strong. It's not happening all at once, but we are clearly moving toward the day when life as we have noted here in the USA will have disappeared, replaced by an existence of servitude or even slavery that none of us could have imagined just a few years ago. And it all comes down to, as another election integrity warrior, Javon Hutton Pulitzer said recently, the basic right to cast your vote and have it be legitimately counted and thus have a say in what happens to this country and how we will live in it. If our elections are rigged and stay that way, we've lost everything. We must not let that happen. While there has been some progress in 2020 on, in moving toward more legitimate elections, we have a long, long way to go. And we're being fought on this every step of the way. Here's audio from a recent episode of his Rudy's Common Sense podcast series by former New York City mayor and renowned federal prosecutor Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's lawyer, one of them. It's titled Some Shameful Things About the New York Times. This podcast involves a lengthy conversation with conservative talk and radio show host Mark Levin, whose new book, American Marxism, ties together a lot of what I'm talking about here. The audio is just the first few minutes of Giuliani's podcast, but it lays out what we are witnessing in today's America. Play soundbite two, please. Hello, this is Rudy Giuliani, back again with another episode of Rudy's Common Sense. Today, we're going to take a look at the influence of communism on the things that are happening in America that have us all saying, we can't believe this is happening in America. (laughs) How often have you or one of your friends uh, said, I can't believe this is happening in America, whether it's the uh, teaching of alternative um, genders to five-year-olds, or it's the mandates that um, you must take an experimental vaccine that turns out not to be a vaccine because it doesn't really give you immunity. And if you don't, you are fired from your job even if you're a a hero public worker, or um, uh, the the, the, uh, deterioration, massive destruction of our criminal justice system, uh, paid for by George uh, Soros all over the country, record levels of murder, Um, a 2020 in which 750 riots took place, Uh, 25 police officers killed, hundreds more killed, wounded, stores destroyed, uh, cars burned, billions of dollars stolen, very few people held to consequence, and the vice presidential candidate of the Democratic Party bailing them out. And um, all these things just keep happening. And we, and we, we go through a, a created inflation recession because we cut off our energy independence. And and instead of, uh, instead of taking our... Uh, natural gas and oil from the United States. We buy it uh, from, uh, from dictators 
uh, in fact, from, from Russia that uh, uses that profit to kill Ukrainians. It all seems kind of strange, doesn't it? And, and uh, all the questions about the 2020 election uh, and then the deliberate, uh, the deliberate election of an incompetent president who doesn't seem to know who he is, what he's doing, twice fell down walking upstairs, much less coming down. We'll give him a pass on the bicycle incident. We don't, we don't give him a pass, however, on giving away Bagram Air Base, which was a strategic defense against communism, wasn't it? 400 miles from China, you don't get an air base 400 miles from your biggest enemy. And if you're a patriot, you don't give it away. But I mean, I don't know how you could define him as a patriot. He seems to hate America. He calls us systemic racists. I don't know if he knows that means we're all racist, basically. We're all evil, basically. Uh, how he, how he, um, how he is able to, to, to deal with that in, 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 in light of the fact that everybody in the world wants to come here. Uh, whatever evil we are as a country in comparison to others, we must be pretty darn good because we are the, by far, the number one choice as the best country to come to in the world, except the Democrats don't see that. They run us down constantly, particularly with this racism thing that was systemically racist. Now, when you see all these things and you hear all these things, it could sound like they're just different, unconnected complaints. You may agree with them. I doubt it. You may see them as a political theater. You may see them as a warped ideology. You may see them as stupidity. You may see them as corruption in order to, like the green program, uh, in order to do away with gas, oil, and basically render us uh, energy incompetent as well as energy dependent. A couple of years ago, I started rereading The History of Communism, which I uh, read in great detail in college. And all of a sudden, it started hitting me as as I'm hearing these things. The one that hit me the most was the breakup of the nuclear family. Why would a group like Black Lives Matter want to break up the nuclear family with particular emphasis on getting rid of the father? So you combine two things with Black Lives Matter. They want to destroy the family and they want to destroy the police. That's why at every rally, they, 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 they say, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. That's 700, 800 rallies. Don't tell me they're not encouraging police killings. What does it mean? It means kill police. Why do we have an increase in the killing of police over the last two years since they emerged as a multi-million dollar organization? But if you look at their manifesto that very few people do, much of which now has been hidden, but I have it. It, it could have been written by Karl Marx. Oh, no, no, no. It was written by Karl Marx because uh, the woman who stole all the money, Patrice Kalouris, tells us she's a very proud, trained Marxist. So why are we even in doubt this is a communist plan to take over America? Giuliani has stated, by the way, that George Soros is the main funder of the Marxist Black Lives Matter organizations, having given hundreds of millions to them, and the communist Antifa organizations. And Soros, along with the self-appointed international vaccine czar, Bill Gates, were big, big campaign funders, and thus are big influencers of Joe Biden. Why do you think old Joe is such a big promoter of COVID vaccinations, even for infants now? And why do you think old Joe 
has illegally thrown open our southern border, which, according to commentator Bill O'Reilly, is a key goal of Soros's Open Society Foundation's network. Here's audio from one of Greg Reese's videos titled The End of Oil Gas, The End of Oil and Gas in Biden's America. It appeared recently on Infowars.com's band.video website. Reese's videos tend to have a, an apocalyptic air to them, but I find that much of what he says is correct. In this video, Reese mentions that 10,000 cattle have mysteriously died recently, alluding to uh, media reports about thousands of head of cattle dying, ostensibly from heat uh, or hot, generally hot weather uh, in Kansas. <clears throat> After watching an episode of Louder with Crowder on YouTube, I saw Crowder contradict this claim stating that the actual figure was more like 2,000 dead cattle and that three days of 100-plus degree heat could well have been the cause and that millions of livestock die every year from predators and other factors, uh, so it's not that big a deal. Um, From video I saw related to that, it appears that dead cows had been bunched together on small lots out in the open, which seems kind of strange to me. I mean – if you know your cattle are suffering from high heat, wouldn't you at least want to put up tarps over them to help them cool off? Whatever the reality of these cattle deaths is, I believe most of the other figures recites here in this video about the many recent mysterious fires and destruction of chickens, turkeys, and food plants around the country are correct. What do you think? If all this is true, it's not hard to suspect another huge conspiracy is afoot to worsen the current and growing food shortages we are experiencing. And what would that do? Make us more dependent on government. Please play sound by three. America is already suffering a food shortage, which can be felt by rising costs and emptying shelves at the grocery store. But this is a cakewalk. It's going to get much worse. The writing, as they say, is on the wall. Any reasonable person can see that this is all being done deliberately. Over 10,000 cattle just died, and we are told that it was due to 100-degree weather. And in just the past 17 months, nearly 100 disasters have mysteriously befallen the American food industry. Dozens of catastrophic fires burning down food processing plants, in multiple cases, caused by small aircraft crashing into them. Thousands of tons of meat destroyed. Over 2 million turkeys have been destroyed. Over 40 million chickens have been destroyed. And with the rising cost of fuel, farmers are unable to harvest their crops. And it's only just beginning. Remember, Joe Biden promised he would shut down oil and gas. I have one final question. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry? It falls. Would you close it down the oil industry? By the way, industry? I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's transition. a big statement. That's it is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But that's a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renenewable energy over time. Over time. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying is he is going to destroy the oil industry. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, and then I have to get to the final question. Vice President Biden. He takes everything out of context, but the point is, look, 
we have to move toward a net zero emissions. Uh, but, but kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to clock it. And they are making good with their radical promise, except there is no alternative energy plan. The Biden administration is doing everything they can to shut down all fossil fuel in this country. And not only will that stop people from driving, all public transportation, all shipping and all industry will come to a halt. Millions will lose their jobs and hundreds of millions will starve to death. Whether you like it or not, civilization is dependent upon oil and gas and our government is turning it all off. We are also still suffering a baby formula shortage, and what little we do have is being sent to the open southern border for the tens of thousands of hungry foreigners being brought in unchecked and flown to already struggling cities across America. And after several countries suspended the Moderna vaccine for adults due to safety concerns, The United States FDA just unanimously voted to inject your infant children with the deadly shot. Your government is trying to kill you. And if anyone thinks this is hyperbole or fear-mongering, they are not paying attention or they are in shock. The only solution we are being offered is to vote, even though we have a rigged election system and two parties that work for the same corporate establishment. Starvation is coming fast, and people can only survive a few weeks without food. And so, what exactly will we do if the so-called red wave this November fails to turn the tide? Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Here's audio from... Javon Hutton Pulitzer's radio show and podcast series broadcast on his Rumble.com channel, June 20. Pulitzer is talking about the left-wing plot, now the official stance of our federal government, to fight the left's perpetual boogeyman of climate change. You know, it used to be called uh, what do you call it? global warming, <laughs> but they changed it to climate change now. Climate's always changing, but for some reason, we've got to stop it. And this will be done by driving up the price of fertilizer and diesel fuel. As I said, this plot to drive up the price of fertilizer and diesel fuel, both used extensively in agriculture, which is currently worsening the food shortage crisis. If I'm understanding him correctly, Pulitzer is saying it's all part of a nefarious plan to destroy the USA. Please sound by four, please. Here is the one that our government right now hopes that you do not pay attention to. Now, this is key, folks. This is key. You literally need to make sure you follow this one. I'm going to stitch this all together for you, okay? Now, a new report has come out that says we're teetering on the edge, Now, remember, every bit of this is fixable if we get this paper right. Everything goes back to that one simple, stupid piece of paper called the ballot. That's why election integrity is it and why we have to fight it. Well, what's going on is the Farm Bureau literally just released a report 
that we are in our food situation teetering on the edge. What they've said is we have re- we have reached the point to where it is very close to being a sinking ship. We are teetering on the edge. Now, folks, don't give up any hope here. Information is the key. Don't get down on this. Why? Because if you didn't know it was coming, you couldn't prepare. And if you didn't know it was coming, you don't know how to make your lawmakers who are very ADD, you don't know how to make them pay attention. Even when I share news like this to you folks, you have to understand If you never knew about it, it will sneak up on you and destroy your family. You have to know when this is happening. This is key. Here's the cause of what's going on. Farmers right now cannot afford the diesel prices. Now, I'm going to stitch this together for you so you understand what's going on. Fertilizer, which you heard about, has gone up in price 300%. And for some reason, our current mail-order maladministration in D.C. was not allowing fertilizers to be shipped by train. Why would they do that? Why would they hold up shipping of fertilizer? Right? Kind of makes you go back to Oklahoma, where Timothy McVeigh used fertilizer as a bomb. And, of course, they've always looked for fertilizer as a bomb. Hmm. Do you think there is some connection here? Because now fertilizer is bad. So they're not allowing fertilizer to be shipped across the country. Diesel for our farmers is up 200%. Now, in case you don't understand how uh, farm diesel works, I want to give you a few things so you understand what's going on. Number one. If you run a family farm, you get a better price on diesel. Any of you, any of you that fill up diesel in your vehicle and you see it's kind of a green color when it comes out, that's how they color it. That's why the throttle, right, of the diesel's bigger so you can't actually put it in your car. So they color it different and it won't fit in the little hole in your car. That's why you don't want to mix the fuels, right? Now, diesel is absolutely the cheapest fuel in the world to manufacture. Did you know that? Diesel has very, very small refining to it. It's cheap. It, it, it is a fraction of what it costs to create gasoline. But when you saw in the Bush-Obama era, they th- threw diesel through the roof. Now, why did they throw diesel through the roof? First time, they had to get it over and above gas because it's what affects trucking. Get it? So they started working on the trucking industry. They made cost go higher and higher and higher. So diesel is the cheapest there there is. It's the cheapest there is fuel. Okay? Now, why you need to understand this is because just a year ago, okay, Just a year ago, diesel for farmers was $2 less than it is right now. $2 per gallon less than it is right now. Now, why does that matter? Well, 
Again, don't believe the government rhetoric where they're trying to push it on the oil companies. They have all these leases. They could make more. The government controls every bit of it. The government wants to pull back those leases. This is all a setup. See, the government's trying to blame it on the oil companies. And you saw Buttigieg get on TV and say, hey, you got all these leases. And if you don't use them, you're going to lose them. That's what they're after. They want to get all of those leases back from the oil companies that are not using them and shut them all down. Now, why would they do that? See, the government has to approve these leases. And right now, our manufacturing is at capacity. It's not about drilling. It's about manufacturing, right? They're not approving new refineries. They're making sure we have all these standards and fuel that we now know since the 1970s. Don't change anything. Haven't made a dent in the environment at all. Not a bit. But why do they keep it? The reason they keep it is think about how many, you know, you don't ever think about your monthly installment payment plan that you pay the government. You don't even think about that. What is that? Your fuel bill. You pay hundreds of dollars a month on top of everything else to the government. Now, they'll tell you it's the oil companies making the profit. But when you look at it, the government profits trillions of dollars in tax. They literally do. It's, it's just egregious nuts. The billions the oil company make, but you look at the billions and billions the government makes over it. It's all a scam. Now, I want to push responsibility to the oil companies. Now, what happens is when you don't have refineries, and you're fighting to get production, if you can't refine, then it kind of keeps those leases fallow, meaning you can't go drill on them. Do you understand the gig? So they're going to try to use this as an excuse to take away oil leases from the oil companies. Remember he said they're going to destroy the oil industry. He clearly said it. So this is the push-pull that they're doing it. They're driving up prices. They're making it look like it's the oil company's fault when it's not. They're going to make all the prices and everything go for the roof and the country to hurt. And when the country starts hurting and screaming, then they're going to come up with a plan to do it. But they need all those oil leases back because the oil companies didn't use them. That is the push-pull. Farms rely almost exclusively on diesel for their tractors and other heavy machinery, okay? Especially when harvesting their crops. Burning up to thousands and thousands of gallons a month. People, people really don't even understand the mathematics on this. And I think uh, if you look at barrels, because you have to buy barrels of fuel. So in farm fuel, they get a little bit cheaper price. They do save some money. It's uh, a red color. They dye it because if they catch it in your vehicles, you're going to get in trouble, right? Because you circumvented the tax. Tractors uh, that would cost in one year to fill up 300 bucks worth of fuel are now costing $500 more. Now, what you have to do is you have to understand that most tractors will burn five to six gallons of diesel to cover just 10 acres. You know, it's a heavy tractor pulling equipment, right? It's got a uh, five to six gallons to cover 10 acres. Now multiply this now $5 plus a gallon for diesel. And they're spending, right? $2 and 50 cents an acre, 25 bucks just in fuel alone, $2 and 50 cents an acre 
What you're not doing is you have to understand these farms have 10, 20, 30,000 acres that they have to basically process. Do you understand that? They have to process that. An average farmer right now, 3,500 acres. They are burning minimum 2,000 gallons of diesel a month. 2,000 gallons of diesel a month. 10 grand a month just in the fuel cost. So now that they've raised the fuel cost high and they're keeping it there synthetically, what's happening? Well, these farmers cannot afford to farm. Fertilizer went through the roof. Diesel went through the roof. What happens to that farm? Who holds the notes? You're right. Mostly the government and banks. They are also pushing out the farmers because who goes in and buys up this farmland? You're right. Bill Gates and China. Do you understand the push-pull going on here? This has nothing to do with the oil companies. It has to do with us being illiterate on how the oil business really works, but the government gets to say it's those big bad oil companies. It's mobile. It's Exxon. It's those big bad oil companies. Not true. It is our own government. Remember we had, we got what, down in the 30s or 40s a barrel of oil. Now we're at 118. It is all a program to buckle and cripple the United States of America. Now let's shift gears and get more info and commentary on what's happening with the Communist Chinese Party and China. If you want to get more of the facts and, in my view, much more realistic commentary about what's going on with the CCP, not the drivel, fluff, and lies that comes from so many of our elites who are eager to surrender our sovereignty to their masters and benefactors of the CCP. Try watching some of these videos on YouTube, to YouTube's credit, because they're owned by Google, and Google's in bed with the Chinese to some extent, over there at least. But uh, try looking at some of these videos on YouTube, which are still being played. I'm talking about the channels China Insights, China Revealed, China Observer, Spotlight on China, and Lay's Real Talk. And... There's also NTD Television's China In Focus program with Tiffany Meyer and its China Insider program with David Zhang. If you buy a digital subscription to NTD's publishing arm, theepochtimes.com, for just $5 a month, you get a very good source of news. I mean, very good. That's my, they're the best newspaper, news, digital or print if you want it, newspaper in America for my money. Plus, you can watch all the great programming on NTD there. Uh, their television arm, on your PC, smart TV, or other device you can stream on. Here's a recent episode from YouTuber Lei, that's L-E-I, of Lei's Real Talk, L-E-I apostrophe S, Real Talk, posted June 18th. It's titled, Chinese Billionaire Caught in Beijing's Power Struggle. Play sound by five, please. 
From February to June 2015, China stock markets in Shanghai and Shenzhen surged. Then, in mid-June, the two stock indexes suddenly plummeted. The Shanghai Stock Exchange Index fell from 5,200 points to 2,800 in two months. The Shenzhen Stock Index was cut in half in three months. The 2015 Chinese stock market crash is also known as a financial coup against Xi Jinping. One of the key players, billionaire Xiao Jianhua, has been detained by Xi for five years. Recently, the Wall Street Journal reported that Xiao will be tried very soon. What does Xiao's trial signify in the CCP's ongoing factional war? Hi, everyone. Welcome to my show. I'm Lei. Xiao Jianhua's trial is an important move by Xi Jinping to strike down the Jiangsemin faction, now spearheaded by retired Politburo Standing Committee member Zheng Qinghong. I made a video about the 2015 financial coup, so I won't focus on that. Today, I'll talk about the man behind the coup and how his fate is indicative of the power struggle within the CCP. Xiao Jianhua belongs to the class of Chinese billionaires whom Western media call the bagmen. Chinese call them the white gloves, the middlemen who help the CCP leaders and their families turn illicit money into legitimate funds, and in turn rose to great wealth themselves. Like many other bagmen, Xiao Jianhua had a humble beginning. He was born in a village in Shandong Province. He was exceptionally bright and was admitted to Beijing University to study law at 15. He graduated at 18 and stayed there to work at the university's party committee. In 1993, at the age of 21, Xiao founded Beijing University Tomorrow Resources Technology, and six years later, he founded Tomorrow Holdings. Within a short 13 years, between 1999 and 2012, his company burgeoned into a super financial conglomerate with unusual speed and might. According to New Fortune magazine, by mid 2017, Xiao's Tomorrow Holdings controlled and held shares in 17 banks, nine insurance companies, eight securities firms, four trusts, three mutual funds. Two futures companies and one leasing firm. The assets of its financial institutions totaled three trillion renminbi, or half trillion dollars, more than three times the net worth of Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man in 2018. Xiao is also a Canadian citizen, a permanent resident of Hong Kong, and an ambassador at large to Antigua and Barbuda. How did a kid from rural China amass so much wealth? Xiao Jianhua was the president of Beijing University's Students Association when the regime cracked down on the students during the Tiananmen massacre in 1989. At the time, student leaders active in the pro-democracy movement were sent away to the countryside or remote areas. Xiao sided with the regime and was offered a job at the Students Affairs Office within the party committee. In the following years, Xiao hooked up with several Jiang faction princelings, most notably Zheng Wei, son of Zheng Qinghong, the Jiang faction's current leader. According to Apple Daily, Xiao has strong connections to scores of powerful families of the Jiang faction, including those of Jiang Zemin, Zheng Qinghong, Zhou Yongkang, Jia Qingling, Zhang Dejiang, Liu Yunshan, and Li Lanqing. Xiao actively played the role of a bagman or white glove for them. 
He helped the son of Zheng Qinghong, Zheng Wei, take over the 74 billion yuan state-owned energy company Shandong Lunan for 3.7 billion yuan in 2006. Xiao's company also held shares of Hong Kong-listed real estate giant Kaisa Group for Zhou Bing, the son of Zhou Yongkang, and Zheng Qinghong's brother Zheng Qinghuai. The New York Times called Xiao a banker for the ruling class. A Hong Kong magazine called Insider reported in April 2017 that Xi Jinping had decided to arrest Xiao as early as 2013. Someone at the top of the CCP leadership leaked the information, and Xiao fled to Hong Kong. By the way, Hong Kong has been a stronghold of the Jiang faction, and that's why Xiao felt safe there. At the time, Xi Jinping and his ally Wang Qishan were busy dealing with other formidable enemies: the CCP public security czar Zhou Yongkang, the top military commanders Guo Boxiong and Xu Caihou, and Ling Jihua, the former director of the general office of the CCP. Xi and Wang took down these CCP heavyweights in 2014 and 2015. As revenge, the Jiang faction organized a financial market crash to create economic chaos for Xi. This was the 2015 financial crash, or coup, as people referred to it. Xiao Jianhua, with his extensive financial network, is said to have been a key driver behind it. After the crash, Xi Jinping immediately launched a counterattack, sacking a number of senior financial officials and so-called financial predators. He arrested Yao Gang, former vice chairman of the Securities Regulatory Commission; Xiang Junbo, former chairman of the Insurance Regulatory Commission; and Cai Lushen, former vice chairman of the Banking Regulatory Commission. Arrests among the financial predators included Xu Xiang, head of Shanghai Zexi Investment Management Company; Lai Xiaoming, chairman of Huarong Group. Hu Huaibang, chairman of China Development Bank; Ye Jianming, chairman of Huaxin Group; and Che Feng, the de facto controller of Hong Kong's Digital Kingdom Limited. As this was happening, Xiao felt unsafe in Hong Kong. He obtained a diplomatic passport from Antigua and Barbuda, a small island country in the West Indies, and intended to flee, but it was too late. He was abducted a few days later by undercover security personnel from his apartment in the Four Seasons Hotel in Hong Kong on Chinese New Year's Eve in 2017. Four days after Xiao was taken back to the mainland, someone published a statement on his behalf on WeChat, saying he was undergoing treatment overseas and would meet with the media after the treatment is complete. I am a Canadian citizen and a permanent resident of Hong Kong, protected by the Canadian consulate and by Hong Kong law. After the post was removed by censors, an anonymous person took out a full-page ad in a Hong Kong newspaper and reprinted his WeChat statement. The forces behind Xiao Jianhua were at work. In May 2019, Baoshang Bank. Which was 89% owned by Tomorrow Group, was taken over by the People's Bank of China and the China's Banking Regulatory Commission. Baoshang declared bankruptcy in February 2021 and became the first Chinese bank that went under in over 20 years. According to an August 2020 article in the China Finance Magazine, 
Tomorrow Group had registered 209 shell companies that took out 347 loans totaling 156 billion yuan from Baoshan Bank between 2005 and 2019, all of which became non-performing loans, which means they are bad debts that won't be repaid. On July 17, 2020, the China's Banking Regulatory Commission and Securities Regulatory Commission placed nine institutions under the Tomorrow Group into receivership for one year due to illegal and non-compliant practices. Tomorrow Group issued a defiant statement the next day, accusing the authorities of a brazen full takeover, and the two regulatory commissions of exaggerating risks. Saying we will exercise our legitimate right to report to the relevant authorities with other information we have. The statement was deleted a few hours later, but widely circulated overseas in Chinese and English. The fact that a mainland Chinese company had the guts to directly challenge government decisions, while its founder is in detainment, tells us it's not an ordinary company. It's the tremendous forces behind the company that directly challenged Xi Jinping. On September 25, 2021, the CCP's Central Discipline Inspection Commission characterized Tomorrow Holdings or Tomorrow Group as an unscrupulous financial group in an article. The week before that, the commission issued a warning that declared, "There's no such thing as an iron hat king who can be punished." The Iron Hat King is generally believed to refer to Zheng Qinghong. Therefore, the investigation of Tomorrow Holdings and Xiao Jianhua was merely an exercise by Xi Jinping to collect evidence to remove Zheng Qinghong and the Jiang faction. The Wall Street Journal quoted Xiao's brother Xiao Xinhua, who declined mentioning details of his brother's case, but said, "It's very complicated and full of drama." By full of drama, he obviously meant that the tug of war between Xi Jinping and Zheng Qinghong was fierce. After the 2015 financial coup, Hong Kong activist investor David Webb said that Xiao Jianhua's Tomorrow Group, Lai Xiaoming's Huarong Group, and Wu Xiaohui's Anbang Group were the golden triangle that dominated the Hong Kong stock market. These were the key players involved in the financial coup. Of the three, Lai Xiaoming was sentenced to death. Wu Xiaohui, who was the ex-grandson-in-law of Deng Xiaoping, was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Some analysts believe that Lai Xiaoming was sentenced to death because he exposed his subordinates but protected his superiors, the people who supported him. He was executed eight days after the sentencing, as a stern warning to other white gloves who refused to cooperate. The Wall Street Journal has reported that Xiao will be tried in Shanghai as soon as this month for illegal fundraising. If it's true, it means that the charge of manipulating the stock and futures markets was removed. This means that Xiao has cooperated with Xi Jinping and given Xi the evidence to take down Zheng Qinghong and the Jiang faction. As a reward, Xiao might be given a light sentence. It will be interesting to see what sentence Xiao will be given. That will tell us whether she has the evidence against his enemies. Now you heard there mention of the Central Discipline Inspection Commission, I believe, or committee. Uh, 
I think Central Discipline Inspection Commission. Um, these observers I listen to describe that as uh, Xi Jinping's a secret police force. Lastly, here's audio from the YouTube channel China Revealed, posted June 19th. It's titled, Recent Orders to Chinese Military Suggest a Major War May Be Looming. As you know, CCP leader Xi Jinping and the CCP have made it clear they intend to annex Taiwan by military force if necessary. If that happens, according to Steve Bannon, our former Trump advisor and host of Bannon's War Room program, says that the U.S. GDP could drop by 30%. That could create a a depression that could make the the one we had in the 20s and 30s, 1920s and 30s, look like, to use the words of Greg Reese, a cakewalk. Please play soundbite six. Recent orders to the Chinese military suggest a major war may be looming. The conflicting deployments of the Chinese regime around the world are already commonplace. But now Chinese leader Xi Jinping has ordered the army to prepare for action. This attracts much attention, even if Xi claims it is only for non-warlike purposes. Currently, the Communist Party of China, or CCP, has active disputes with dozens of countries. It also has a large fleet of hundreds of fishing vessels that ply the seas, intimidating countries that do not conform to its controversial territorial policies. These circumstances demonstrate that the armed forces of the Chinese regime have indeed not remained inactive at any time, quite the contrary. Even more so, if we consider that for years they have escalated their incursions and threatening rhetoric against the sovereignty of Taiwan, which they intend to invade, despite being a democratic nation with more than 23 million inhabitants. Thus, the order issued by Xi on June 13th does not go unnoticed, nor does the general outline composed of 59 articles that serve as the legal basis for the military operations that went into effect on June 15th, 2022. The new directive, disseminated through official information channels, gives rise to much speculation, increased by the fact that it was not published in its entirety. Radio Free Asia, for its part, comments on the matter, prompting concerns that Beijing may be gearing up to invade the democratic island of Taiwan under the guise of a special operation, not classified as war. In this sense, the apparent innocuousness of mobilizing the Chinese armed forces for non-war purposes could also be the first official step toward a full-scale war. Even more so, considering that this order for the preparation of non-war actions follows a mobilization order issued last month during a confidential internal meeting of the Communist Party of Guangdong Province, China. This activation of the vast war machine leads one to presume the worst prospects for the free world given that it could be the effective implementation of a nationwide mobilization order from the top echelons of the CCP, the Guangdong National Mobilization Order. In a little-publicized publication, the Lutheran Times revealed the secrets of the Communist Party of China's conspiracy and preparation to launch a new strategy and tactics for a new people's war against the whole world under the leadership of Xi Jinping. It added, the transfer of Guangdong province to a state of war is the implementation of a national mobilization order from the top echelon of the Chinese Communist Party, led by Xi, to prepare for war. It further explains, People's War for the Chinese Communist Party is a war waged with the lives, property, and resources of the entire Chinese people, and all Chinese as the tools and weapons of war. It goes on to add, For the aggressor, it is a war in which the life, property, and resources of the other side are used as the target 
and the result of the war to intimidate and coerce the other side into admitting defeat. It should be noted that Guangdong province is the most powerful province in China regarding economy and population and has to sacrifice itself to fulfill Xi's strategy. From the Lutheran times, obviously, the main battlefield and strategy are not only Taiwan, but also the United States and the entire Pacific region. Escalating the conflict on a global scale means the commitment and sacrifice of the entire Chinese people and the totality of their resources. This is an over-the-top tactic that surpasses the West's knowledge of world war, but the West does not fully realize that this is their greatest weakness in the face of the new Chinese Communist War model. The Free Lutheran Times continues to warn. Recent U.S. actions vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese regime. For its part, the U.S. government is currently showing a definite shift toward the Chinese regime, expressed by Secretary of State Antony Blinken in his May 26, 2022 speech. He said, even as President Putin's war continues, we will remain focused on the most serious long-term challenge to the international order, and that's posed by the People's Republic of China. He added, China is the only country with both the intent to reshape the international order and, increasingly, the economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to do it. He also defined, we cannot rely on Beijing to change its trajectory, so we will shape the strategic environment around Beijing to advance our vision for an open, inclusive, international system. It is clear to Blinken that Washington's primary national security challenge is the CCP. In this sense, the perception of this Democratic administration coincides with the previous Republican administration. Likewise, a senior U.S. official expanded on the context in a briefing before Blinken's speech, saying that U.S. policy is focused on constraining Beijing's ability to engage in coercive practices. He further stated that Washington and its allies seek to leverage our collective strength and close vulnerabilities that China is able to exploit. However, former White House National Security Council advisor Matthew Pottinger believes, while the soul of U.S. policy now consistently emphasizes rivalry with Beijing, the body has yet to fully follow. Pottinger notes that concrete actions to prevent the flow of U.S. capital and technology to the Chinese military-industrial complex are missing during the current U.S. administration, in addition to other contradictory actions which favor the CCP. And the need for an adjustment of the U.S. posture would not be surprising, given that the destruction of the U.S. could be the main objective of the Chinese regime, as is evident from the words of its leader, Xi Jinping. Our struggle and contest for power with the West is irreconcilable, and therefore will inevitably be long, complex, and at times extremely sharp, Quotes researcher Ian Easton in his book, The Final Struggle, Inside China's Global Strategy. He also mentioned Xi's phrase, the ultimate demise of capitalism and ultimate triumph of socialism will inevitably be a long historical process. So one can take his mobilization of the army as a first stage of the final onslaught. However, it is to be assumed that all nations of Western culture will defend themselves, given the risk that their civilization could disappear partially or totally. This is the new world order that Beijing bootlicked Joe Biden, George Soros, and so many others among our supposed elites seem to want so desperately to bring about. Although Soros has been a longtime promoter of communist China and the CCP model of government, he has in recent years apparently become dissatisfied with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping, who, whom he's sharply criticized of late. 
But I doubt this has lessened Soros' zeal for communist China to, as he says, lead the new world order. I have no doubt that the much ballyhooed new world order with a world government dominated by the CCP would lead inevitably to the self-destruction of the oligarchs and globalist fools who currently support it, up to and including the seizure of all their assets and even their executions or imprisonment. But these people seem completely blind to the realities of communism and their pals and masters of the CCP who've been handing them all that money. That's it for another show. As always, we hope you found its content of interest and value. You can listen to a podcast of today's show when it's posted shortly on the Jim Benson Show page here at bbsradio.com. Look for us again two weeks from today in this same time slot. Have a good rest of your day and evening.